0: Hello, and welcome to Spring Office Hours, Season 3, Episode 7, Spring AI. My name is Dan Vega, Spring Developer Advocate at Broadcom, joined by my good friend and coworker worker Deshaun. Deshaun, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing wonderful. It's a great day to be a Spring Developer, and I'm here for it. Let's go.
0: We're going to have some fun today. We have a special guest for you. He is not here. Oh, I already gave up half of it. He is here. He is here. He's just not on the stream yet. We just want to talk to you real quickly, and then we'll bring our good friend in. Uh, we'll tell you more about him in a second. Deshaun, what have you been up to? I haven't seen you in a few. <clears throat> pretty many, I know this is well, at least here. <laughs> yes, the thing
1: is, this is like my favorite time of the week. And when we go a week, you know, it was a holiday. I get it. But when we go a week without doing, it, I just feel, I feel like I don't. I'm not my complete self. I'm not my best self. I know. I,
0: that. I know. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I missed you too. I hope that your trip to Montreal was a wonderful trip.
0: Oh, that was awesome! Yeah, I was in Montreal, Canada, for Confu. Uh, first time going to that conference. Uh, our good friends Spencer and Jonathan were there with me, so it was good to catch up with them. I met up with Anthony, who's also uh, at Broadcom, who works on build packs. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. It was a cool conference. Really, the best conference food I have ever eaten in my life. Most conferences. Spencer and I were joking around about this. Most conferences, I go to lunch day one and I say, okay, I'm not coming back here for lunch day two. I'm going to go eat somewhere else. <laughs> uh, this was like French cuisines every day for lunch, That's uh, which was amazing. And then we had a really great speaker dinner uh, that Jan put on at a steakhouse near there, uh, which was amazing. And again, I, I think I tweeted this out when I was leaving, but I love conferences. Uh, I mean, the sessions are great, but it's just infectious to be around so many smart people. Like, you get inspired to come back and like do something good. So, yeah, I got back last week and off and running this week to, to get caught up on some things. So,
1: <laughs> that is so how about wonderful. You? So, yeah, last week uh, it was a lot of, uh, I'm working with a lot of customers, and that's yep. always fun uh, getting to yep. hear like what's really happening, right? You know, we can. Uh, make releases all the time. Uh, But how is it being adopted? How are people taking it to production? That's the fun stuff. I really enjoy doing that. So that's what I did a lot of last week. Uh, And we had some really interesting releases last week as well.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, why don't we do that? Before we bring in our guests, we'd like to take a look at uh, the calendar and uh, just kind of get everybody caught up. If you don't know, calendar.spring.io, you can find out where what releases are happening and when. So this is a really good place. Go ahead and bookmark this. I would save this, come back to it often if you're ever curious. So what happened? We missed some things last week, huh?
1: Well, we had new Spring Boot releases, which is great. Yeah, 3.2.3, which is where I'm at, uh, came out on mm-hmm. Thursday. And this hasn't been updated. Uh, I noticed just a second ago that we're kind of uh, tagging the releases and stuff still for Spring AI, but Spring AI is got released on Friday. Yeah. Twenty-third. So I'm sure this yep. will be updated any minute. But that was the other really, really exciting part for my week was Spring AI yeah. getting released. Zero dot got released on Friday.
0: Yeah, and there was a really good blog post on spring.io slash blog on like what's new in there. Yep, there it is. So go ahead and check that out if you want to learn about what's new in Spring AI. But we'll be talking about that today. Um and yeah, and that three dot three milestone two was out there. So that means we're getting closer to a 3.3 release, which is exciting. So, what, a couple of months, not too long. So In May? Yeah, looking In forward May. to that. Exciting so yeah, calendar.spring.io, if you're ever interested, uh, go ahead and check that out. All right, enough of that. I think we need to bring on our guests and have a little fun today and talk about Spring AI. Let's so right now it. I'm going to bring to the stage our good buddy, Craig yeah. Walls. Craig, how are you doing?
2: Um, I'm good. I'm good. It's Monday, so I'm, I'm only so good, but I'm good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's Monday. I don't know where you are right now, but the sun is out here, so I, I'm always better when the sun's out.
2: So. I'm in the uh, Denver, Colorado area, and it's mostly sunny. Tomorrow it's supposed to snow.
0: Uh, Yeah, we're getting that, I think, later this week, too, but I'll take the sun while I can, and it's going to be like 60 degrees tomorrow. So, Hey, for those... There's a small corner of the earth out there that doesn't know who Craig Walls is. Can you go ahead and give me a quick intro about who you are, what you do?
2: All right. I am a, I'm a member of the uh, Spring Engineering team. I've been a member of the Spring Engineering team since 2010, so quite a while now. Um, I am a big Spring fanatic, obviously. I've written books on Spring, including Spring in Action, which is what the one most people know about. Um, I'm also I'm currently working on a lot of the commercial stuff uh, for, um, the, uh, spring team. Let's see what else. Uh, I'm also a big, and I can't say her name out loud because it'll hear me, but <laughs> <some>. I'm also <laughs> like to develop voice apps for that, that thing that what used to look like a po- hockey puck, um, written a book about that, in fact, and, nice. um, uh, enjoy board games and going to Disney parks. Let's see. So.
0: Yeah, you you have been to a few Disney parks. Uh, in, in our conversations, I figured that out. When, when's the last time you were at a Disney park? How many days?
2: I was in Disneyland over Christmas.
0: Nice. So not too long. Measuring and like
2: still in days, not months.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, I I got a quick question. I the book Spring in Action is it it's on like the seventh edition? Is that is that correct? The
2: sixth edition has been published. Uh, <laughs> about half of the chapters for the seventh edition are in the can.
0: Cool. I, I'm always curious. That, so, so you come up with you come up with this book, Spring in Action. How does it go from edition to edition? Like, what is that process like for you? Do you have to like rewrite the entire book? Do you just like update certain pieces of it? How does that go?
2: Well, um, in the past, uh, a few editions, yeah, it was a large rewrite. Um, partly because lots of things about spring changed, like. Big time, yep. like, you know, think back on the days, of, you know, early versions of spring, spring and VC and what, what we knew in spring one is vastly different than what we got in spring 2.5, spring 3.0. Yep. And that's even somewhat different today. But so it, back in the day, it required a whole lot of um significant rewrites um now i'm trying to get by with as many you know what i can do to get things up to you know kind of caught up with whatever the latest stuff is with as minimal effort as possible and only spend the majority of my energy on stuff that's significantly new so of course in like this seventh edition will be things like observations it'll be some graphql um you know what, whatever is new but not nice uh, but not complete overwrite of everything else
0: Excellent. that's awesome Cool. Looking forward to that. Do you have an idea when that might come out?
2: Uh, I do, but there's something that might put a pause button on that, but I can't talk about that yet because I haven't got everything fully approved yet. So
1: That was, that right. was the answer I got when I asked, hey, <laughs> when's the next day? He said, I can't talk
0: about that yet. So stay consistent. Very good, cool. Very good. So we're here to talk to you about Spring AI today. Um, now, we talked about it before the show you don't work on Spring AI all the time, but you're definitely yeah. really curious about it, really interested in it. How did you kind of get involved with just playing around with the project? What, what got you started with that?
2: Well, it was back at Spring 1 at uh, X- VMware Explorer this last fall. I I mean, I had known about nobody. I mean, who doesn't know about all the talk about chat GPT and LLMs and all this stuff? I mean, how can you miss that? But I had heard about this stuff, but I hadn't really done much with it other than just kind of poke around with GPT and ask it stupid questions and see what it gave me. And I was struggling uh, to figure out, okay, that's cool and all, but how can you really use this? And when uh, when Mark was talking about Spring AI at Spring 1, I started tinkering with it and all of a sudden it hit me like, okay, I kind of get this. and how this might work. There's also some little project I can't talk about really too much, but I can just kind of tell you a little bit about it. Uh, there's some stuff I was uh, working with, with Alexa, um, uh, and some other folks had been working with, and I they were doing some interesting things with uh, some of these LLMs behind the scenes. And it wasn't using uh, Spring AI, it was using uh, some other stuff, but it suddenly hit me, wait a minute, I think I can see how this could be useful. And, it, you know, once you dive into it, you start seeing it's not just simply ask a question, get an answer. There's a lot of really interesting things you can do with it um, mm-hmm. I mean, that boil down to ask a question, get an answer. But there's a lot of like, you know, cool things you can do. Like most significantly, the, the hot topic these days is RAG or retrieval augmented generation where you can ask questions about your own documents. It doesn't yeah. have to be uh, trained on the LLM for you to ask questions about it. And so suddenly it, once you could start doing things like that, I'm like, OK, now I could see how this might be
0: helpful. Yep. Cool. I thought, um, before we get into stuff, I just want to say, everyone joining us here in the chat, if you have questions about AI in general or Spring AI, we'll do our best to answer them. If not, we can always ask the the people that know this a little bit better. We can ask them. Um, So if you're here in the chat, please go ahead and ask your questions. If you're not here in the chat, you can go ahead and catch this on a replay over at the Spring Developer YouTube channel. We also turned this into a podcast, so check out springofficehours.io and you can get this podcast uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, so that'll be fun. You can listen to us on the run, in the car, wherever you are. I thought it would be a good chance to, to kind of level set a couple of things because when I hear AI, I hear like all these terms being thrown around and I'm like, what is that? What is this? What is What does that have to do with this? So I think in general, we hear the term AI these days and everything is AI, right? Like, this app has AI, and that app has AI. Um, I'll leave this to both of you, Deshaun and Craig. Uh, whoever wants to go ahead first, that's fine with me. But, like, what is artificial intelligence to you?
2: Um, well, first off, AI is a very broad subject. There's a lot of different yes. corners of it. Uh, and Spring AI doesn't cover all those things, and nor does what, I am, what I'm interested in or understand uh go into all of those those areas it's you know a very niche corner of it called generative ai that we're interested yes in yes but in the more in the more general sense i one of the things even with generative ai this is still applicable i think the thing that everybody gets excited about is the word intelligence but they forget that there's a word called, called artificial on there and <laughs> this is not really intelligence it's
0: right.
2: pretending it's it's no more a real intelligence than a you know, plastic plant in the corner is a real plant. It's an artificial plant, um, <laughs> but it can still, it can still exhibit characteristics of real intelligence. And that's kind yeah. of why we're excited about it. And um, so, I mean, in general, in a general sense, that's kind of my thoughts on, on that. I'm, I'm very much interested more in the generative AI stuff, not so much on training my own models, although that's like maybe someday I'm going to play with that. But right today yeah. I don't, I don't care. There's, you know, tons of people out there who are already doing that, and they're doing a great job. So I'll just trust that they're doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's. I think there's some really good stuff that can come out of this, as long as you keep in mind that it's artificial.
0: Yeah, and I wonder. Uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people that aren't developers, right? And like, what what is your thoughts on AI? And and they think they think differently than we do. I think, right? Like, they use ChatGPT, and it's like. Wow, the machines are like progressing and they're going to take over the world someday. Yeah, they're gonna a lot take hard, all of our right? jobs. Right, right. And it's just like we we kind of understand like there's a big data set here behind the scenes and it knows how to like process that right. Um, so I don't know, Deshaun, I'm curious, do you do you feel a lot like if you talk to somebody who's outside the development world, do you gonna get that sense that like AI is really advanced <laughs> now and taking over the world?
1: First of all, I'm awkward. I don't talk to a lot of people outside of <laughs> our ecosystem. Uh, but the other thing is there there is a lot of concern, like, hey, what's going to happen? And, you know, I think the best way, you know, oftentimes we hear is, like, hey, is AI going to take over things? Uh, yeah. And the best way to kind of, like, keep in front is, like, do your own work. Yeah, do the development and figure it out, right? Go take it for a spin. Because uh, even if AI takes over the world, the AI developers are not going to be without a job, right? Uh, right. But the thing about AI, my uh, perspective, is it allows us to tackle a lot of problems that we've had in the past in a different way. Uh, you know, from the way that we built databases uh, in the past, and the way that we uh, interfaced with databases, uh, the the way that we queried databases, the way that we've all we've all done prompt engineering before. It was the way that we would uh, interface mm-hmm. with Google right? Just like, hey, how are we getting the right uh, yeah. search query? Uh, and yeah, and we're just kind of, we're going to be able to handle uh, these large sets of data in a slightly different way, an easier way, hopefully, uh, than what we had in the past, like the way that we just searching, you know, through data, that's there's yeah. going to be
2: a lot of change coming forward. And we're just and the, starting. The funny thing is, you, you said, you use the phrase prompt engineering. I think that's such a over term yeah. yeah Because at yeah. the end of the day it's as you said we've are we've been doing this for years with google we just learned yeah. how to talk to google and anybody who's ever had a child especially like a teenager <laughs> knows that you have to do <laughs> prompt engineering because if you don't they're gonna they're gonna come back and tell you what you didn't tell them <laughs> um that's awesome so you have to know how to ask the question and, and give the instruction correctly or they're not going to do what you said you said yep. pick the
1: clothes up off my floor. You didn't say take them to the laundry. <laughs> right. So That's right that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So one of the other terms I hear a lot is large language models or LLMs. Um, you know, I think a lot of this, a lot of this is like really ramped up over the last couple of years because of deep learning, large amounts of data, and really like fast processors, right? Fast computers. So it's kind of ramped up over the years. An LLM, is it just a large set of data, large language model? Is that just a big set of data that we're working with?
2: Yes. Uh, I mean, it's more than just saying that, but I mean, there's more to it than that. But you could say that and that that would be true. Um, All right. Honestly, the internals of it, I'm still a little fuzzy on, but I have some kind of understanding about it. All right. Um, right. But it's basically, it's just a bunch of data that has... How those models are structured, I, I still struggle with a little bit because yeah, I don't I don't, I know know anything. I don't care, yeah. but yeah. Uh, it doesn't impact my day. To, right. to know. But it right. comes down to, there's these these thoughts of where, where does this data exist in multidimensional space? And when you're asking questions of that data, um, what statistically is the most likely thing to follow that question? And this is right. why we, call it, a lot of times it's not even called asking questions, it's called chat. Or not chat, I'm sorry, completions. Because it's not much different, I mean, at a simple level. It's not much different than what you do on your phone when you're texting somebody and it's suggesting the next word. It's just, it's the same idea. What statistically is the most likely thing to follow what you just said? So when I enter a prompt and I ask a question or I tell it to do something, it's going to respond with statistically what's the most likely thing that's going to come back to match that. That's kind of where the intelligence is lost. It's not thinking. It's... Just coming back and saying, okay, this is what follows that. And yeah. when it's based on a large enough model, the answers it gives sound like it's thinking. It sounds like it's giving you some some real answer that it pondered over, but it really didn't. It just here's what follows what that question is th- is this answer.
0: Right. So then so then we have these these large models, and there are companies building businesses on top of these models, right? Like an open AI. Um, Google Bard, they all have their own models, right? So the mm-hmm. way that we interface with these models is usually through something like a chatbot, right? So ChatGPT is the one everybody kind of knows. ChatGPT is talking to the model, right? Cool. So I, yeah. just, I I think sometimes like you throw around a lot of these terms and we're not sure what's what. So the chatbot is talking to the large language model. Yeah, In the, the chatbot case, is
2: just an application. That's all it is. Just so but it knows about the model and knows how to submit those prompts so that the, it can come back with an answer.
0: And then there's ChatGPT, which is OpenAI. There's other ones out there, right? Can you name some other like chatbots that are out there?
2: I mean, we all, yeah, ChatGPT is the obvious one. Um, yep. We all know about, well, what was called BARD. I think they're rebranding that under Gemini now.
0: Gemini, yep.
2: Um, And what did I see? I saw one the other day and I was shocked to see it. Uh, in fact I have it on my phone let me see if I can remember because I had <laughs> it I was shocked to see it called what it was called <laughs> um, no it's not there I guess I I guess I deleted it there was but there was one it was something I, I knew this 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 company's brand as something else but then it popped up on my phone as a different thing and wow. I was like whoa that's that's interesting and it was basically a chatbot but i I'm totally blanking on what it is well
0: yeah AI is moving very fast these days. So, um, <laughs> yeah. um, somebody brought something else up in the chat. Uh, Copilot. So, Copilot oh, yeah. is is another form of this, right? Um, but I believe this is talking to OpenAI's model, as it is, right? Like, is it? I don't know if it's like the same model that ChatGPT uses. But there's a model underneath the hood that knows code, right? It's probably scanned like GitHub and the yeah. open web. There's- and...
2: Excuse me, my my chair is terribly uncomfortable um, when people are watching me. Otherwise, it's comfortable all day long. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's different models out there that are more well tuned to provide help with coding. Right. And so, and actually, that is the thing I was thinking of is Copilot because uh, well, Copilot I know is the thing I use to help me, you know, not type as much. Uh, yeah. But then showed up in a Super Bowl commercial as something that you can install on your phone and ch- talk to it like ChatGPT. Huh. Huh, uh, nice. And that was like surprising to me that it showed up in that context. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It, but when you're talking about Copilot that you have installed in your IDE, that's basically, that's talking to a model that's more finely tuned for working. <laughs> and there's different models out there that are just better at some things than others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like, it'll predict kind of the next logical thing, right? Like, hey, I'm writing a recursive function to do this. And it will go, okay, I can kind of figure that out based on the context. So
2: Anybody who's used it knows that the answers it gives you, the code it su- suggests is hit and miss. Sometimes it's great. Yeah. When it works, it's awesome. When it doesn't yeah. work, it's like oh, no, that's not what I want to do.
0: That, yeah, most of the time too. And I do a lot of like demos where I've figured out the demo first. So I've written this demo, and then when I'm giving the demo in a video or at a conference in a presentation it's right on because it's like using yeah, my code as part of exactly. that completion. And that's great because like I know that that's right because I've already <laughs> written that code. <laughs> I was surprised
2: uh, uh, at one time I was doing uh, a conference presentation and I was using IntelliJ yeah. and Copilot. And I don't think I had ever given this example before, <laughs> nor had I written it before. I thought, let let me just do this kind of ad hoc and I, I or ad lib, and I, I did it, and as I was typing it, it was suggesting code that was very clearly from my book. I mean, <laughs> it was obviously from my book.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, you know that if you stopped writing books, then Co- Copilot would not have no, no more answers, right? Right. <laughs> this cool. is how we kill um, the machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the Uh, other
1: idea around LLMs, right? You have these different LLMs that are trained differently, but one of the things that we're gonna talk about here is like, yeah, how do you choose? How do you figure out what's the right LLM to back your thing, right? We're doing a lot of, or I'm doing a lot of like, summarizing of videos, of transcripts, and there's definitely a different uh, type, a different tone, different context, different things are prioritized.
2: Giving the same question to different LLMs. So how would I pick? Uh, honestly, the way I pick is what's cheapest because I'm, I'm, I'm basically paying for this myself and um, I'm cheap. And so I've gotten to where I, where, where I started. I was using GPT-35 Turbo because it's the probably the cheapest, most general purpose one you can get out there. Um, and it's getting cheaper all the time. They keep dropping the price. As soon as I say what the price is, they'll drop it again. So maybe I should put <laughs> the price right now so they can drop it. Uh, I don't remember what it is now, but it's it's super cheap. Um, GPT four is better, arguably better, but it's um, an order of magnitude more expensive. And so I don't use it often unless I just want to know what it, you know, how would it behave. And then I've been really excited about some of the other models that you can play with nowadays, uh, locally without having to pay a thing, uh, when I run them with a, a llama. Uh, so a llama is just a, a transformer. You can run locally. You can load up pretty much any model that's out there into it. Uh, at least the public domain or the, um, open source models, the stuff that, um, is in hugging face and whatnot, you can install those. And so I've been playing with those. I use, when I'm playing around with that, I use llama too. I've used, um, Oh, there's another one I can't remember the name of now I've used a couple times. and more recently I've been using um, Gemma, which is kind of like the mini, kind of like the mini version of Gemini that Google's released. and um, Gemma is actually not bad, especially if, if you're using the there's two versions two b and 7b. the 2B version's wonderful. Um, it does a good job. I mean not great, but pretty good um, and it's fast. 7B caused the memory on my machine to peg out. Whenever I'd ask a question, you'd see the memory just go to the top, and so it was slow. Uh, So I I don't use 7B that much.
0: Cool. So, Spring AI. So we can talk to. So OpenAI. OpenAI has an API that you could talk to and kind of work with their large language model, right? Sure. Google has the same thing. Microsoft has the same thing. All these LLMs have a way to kind of interact with it. But then along comes Spring AI. And what is Spring AI going to do for us to kind of simplify our lives?
2: All right. At the end of the day, no matter what you're using to talk to these LLMs, you're talking to a transformer that that most likely exposes some REST API. And so the idea, to kind of sum it up, the transformer is just the thing that kind of make it simple it makes it so that you can talk to these things it knows how to deal with those really complicated um mathematical models that have been trained it knows how to deal with those in a kind of a human way to some degree so you can ask questions of it so i mean that's nice. oversimplifying it probably but that's that that's all you need to know and then those expose a rest api and at the end of the day you're just talking to a rest api and that's one of the things Spring is good at. Spring can do that because we have all sorts of different ways of doing that now. We have REST template and REST client and web client, and those are great. Um, but when you're working with OpenAI or any of these things um, with those clients, you're working with it at kind of a low level. And mm-hmm. Spring AI, at its very core, is an API binding for these different models, and it knows how to talk to them. It knows how to package up the um, the, the request with the, the proper stuff in it so it can send it right. And what's cool about it is that even though all these different models have different APIs that you would mm-hmm. work with, when you're working with Spring AI, it's a common uh, yep. common set of stuff you're working with. It's in many ways, I've, I've heard people say this, in many ways, it's a lot like uh, the old days, uh, well, even now, but in the old days, we got excited about Spring Data for the same reason, because no matter what kind of database you're working with, you can still yeah. talk to it in the same way. And so Spring AI kind of makes, kind of unifies all these different APIs for working with different AI APIs, unifies them under one um, set of uh, libraries.
1: That's what I've been saying. Are you okay with yeah. that explanation? Hey, I love Spring Data because I can go from uh, Postgres to Redis to Oracle, and I have this layer of abstraction that I'm comfortable with that I know, so it makes moving pretty easy, right? Yeah, I mean, you might have to
2: change a few things to kind of yep. to kind of make that particular, um, in the case of Spring Data, that particular mm-hmm. database happy or to make this particular LLM happy. But for yep. the most part, it's the same programming model. You don't have to completely learn something new.
0: And it's all the same types, right? All the types that we're working with when we're talking to one of these services, they're all going to be the same. So that, exactly. makes, it, that makes it easy to think about when we're going across different providers, right?
2: Right. And then building on top of that API abstraction, we have uh, all sorts of really cool things to help you do um, like a higher level functions against that. Things like um, you have things that can um, parse the response into output parsers, parse the response into, let's like, say, JSON, like a JSON response. And so, when you ask for it, what you can do is pose your prompt, pose your question, uh, tell it you're going to use a certain output parser. And what the output parser is going to do is, when you tell the output parser, you tell it, "I'm going to, I want to bind this to this record or this Java class, this this bean, I want to tie, tie it to." And the output parser does a couple of things. First off, it injects into the prompt the instructions that tell the LLM respond in this JSON format with this. Nice. Schema. And then once it receives that response, it takes that JSON and binds it to your, your Java object. So that you, awesome. can, you can work with it, not just as text, but as Java code.
0: That's also, really cool.
2: <sighs> um, has stuff for working with uh, again, retrieval augmented generation. That's a big, Hot topic now, and so there's things in there that help you load up these documents from pretty much any source, um, you know, PDFs or text files or what have you. Load load up the uh, the document, uh, store it into a vector database, retrieve it later on uh, when you when you're ready to ask the questions. Throw that stuff into a prompt, submit the prompt. And most recently with zero point eight, you have the ability to kind of do the. It's kind of this, it's same but different uh, type of thing where you can ask questions about your data, your live data, through an API or through um, maybe hitting some Java bean. So if you have some bean that has some function on it, you can ask it um, a question, and that, that function is going to have some description on it to tell the LLM, hey, I know how to answer this kind of question, essentially. Yeah.
0: Well, As well, well,
2: somebody ask a question, it comes back yeah. and tells you how to call that, but you don't have to deal with that. It just sort of calls it for you behind the scenes, and then you get an answer back.
0: Right.
2: See, that's... that's uh... That's uh,
1: mind-blowing. So you're saying, I can ask a live running application uh, against some beans that are exposed. Like, hey, what's going on here?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so the <laughs> bean will have on a description on, on on a method saying, okay, this method, this answers this kind of thing, or this provides this kind of data. I did an example last week uh, where I behind the scenes, I used an API that I've, I've been aware of for a while that basically asked you can ask it questions like what's the wait time for an attraction in disney (laughs) and then so i have i declared a bean that knew how to do that Had a it was a function just a java util function bean, and it had a description on it that says this knows how to find wait times for disneyland attractions or something i can't remember how i described it and then i just when i submitted my prompt i said okay also by the way when you submit the prompt keep in mind that we have this this function here that we can use if you need it and so Behind the scenes, what happens is you go to the LLM, along with some that description of the function, and you say, you know, what's the wait time for Haunted Mansion? And the LLM comes back and says, okay, well, I don't know that, but call this function with these parameters, and it should give you the answer, and tell me what you get for the answer. And then it makes another call to the LLM with the answer, and then you come back, the LLM comes back and says, okay, here's the English sentence that describes what the answer is. But as far as from coding perspective, as as far as it's concerned, you're just saying, here's my question, here's my function, answer this. And all that back and forth behind the scenes is handled by Spring AI. You don't have to do that yourself.
0: So I want to talk a little bit more about this, this rag concept and and when it might be useful. So I know one of the examples that you worked on earlier. So so let's say that we're writing this kind of chatbot in our application. We're going to send a prompt to um, one of the large language models. Let's just say we're using OpenAI for this. We say, "Hey, um, how do you? What is the Spring Boot? Uh, what is the at @Spring Boot uh, application annotation used for?" So we'd ask the alum this, and it might come back with an answer of what this is used for. I saw an example where you took like your whole book as a PDF and fed this to the into Spring AI, right? Mm-hmm. So, when you do this, am I? Is there a way to say this is like my trusted source? That is like the secondary source. How does it know which one to like retrieve from first?
2: Uh, a lot of that has to do with the prompt engineering. You basically okay. to to some degree. What happens is this is called uh, this is RAG. This is retrieval augmented generation. And what happens is first off, you can't. Well, it's not, I'm about, I was about to say something that was not exactly correct. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, you can't send my entire book in your prompt. Yep. And you, I mean, there's a couple of options. We could train a model that knows nothing but things about my book. That's
0: mm-hmm.
2: complicated and time consuming and expensive in terms of resources. Yep. Maybe you don't want to do that. Yep. You can do fine tuning where you take an existing model and essentially add to it information about my book. That's also just as time consuming and complicated. Maybe I don't want it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. There's different Mm -hmm. use cases where that might come in handy. But a vast number of use cases would simply be fine saying here, hey LLM, hey OpenAI, hey Gemini, hey whatever. You don't know anything about this book, but I'm gonna ask you questions about it anyway. But to help Mm -hmm. you, I'm gonna give you an open book exam. I'm gonna give you the book (laughs) <laughs> and then I'm going to ask questions about it. and th- But this happens because there's no like memory between things. It doesn't remember what you told it. So every time I ask the question, I would have to give it my book. Yep. Well, There's a lot of problems with that. Uh, first off is um, that's just a lot of latency, a lot of data I'm sending on every single request. Um, yep. When most of that is not relevant to the question being asked. Um, so why should I send everything if I'm only asking a question about what is the app? Spring application or at whatever annotation is, is used for. Yep. So why should I send the entire book for just that? It's also not possible uh, to send the entire book with a lot of um, most models because you have a certain limited number of tokens. And tokens are like right. the way that these things are diced up. But you only have so many tokens you can send. Now, with Gemini, you can send apparently a million tokens, <laughs> uh, which is – that's cool that you can do that, but I'm still not sure that – a great idea because it's still, you're going to have to pay for those. You're paying per token.
0: Right. Right.
2: Um, you still got a huge request. So I'm yeah. not as cool as it is that you can do that. I'm not sure I want to. Um, right. And, but regardless, so what you do is you take and you load up your document um, into a vector database, uh, some sort mm. of thing like, I mean, you can do it with Postgres. You can do it with, you can do it with Neo4j. Neo4j offers some really cool stuff, but, you can do it with Postgres, you can do it with Neo4j, you can do it with Redis, you can do it with... There's some that are dedicated to these things like Pinecone and Chroma, and there's others that I'm not, I'm forgetting right now. But what happens is you load the document up, and you don't load up the document as a whole. It gets chopped up in a little like, sub-document. Nice. And it gets stored in there. And then what you are essentially doing is, if it helps you sleep better at night, it's text search. But it's actually better than text search. Uh, it's using... Uh, it's basically calculating where that thing fits within three dimensional or not three dimensional multi-dimensional space, like mm-hmm. multi-dimensional, like I don't even know how many dimensions, like hundreds of dimensions. Uh, so make sure your head hurt. To think about it. <laughs> and then when you ask a question, we calculate, these are called embeddings. When you calculate its position in multi-dimensional space, we call these things embeddings. And, um, there's an API. There's APIs that help you do that the open AI offers an, a model that's good at that. There's other ways of doing it. But regardless, you store this thing in a vector database with these embeddings. And then um, when you ask a question, your question turns into a set of embeddings, too. And now you take those embeddings for your question. You go search the vector database for your um, your what what things are close to this question in three in multidimensional space. And it does it by doing there's a couple ways to do it. But the most common way is basically cosine. Um, similarity, it basically says where's this question is at this point in, th- in multi-dimensional space. This document is at this point in multi-dimensional space. Starting at the origin, what's the cosine of that angle? And it's going to give you an answer anywhere between um, zero. and, well, once you subtract it from one, anywhere from uh, one to what? Well, no, zero to zero to two. And so two means you're nowhere off. This, this document does not apply. Uh, Zero means you're spot on this. This one does apply. And um, it's doing a, like using this cosine similarity It's going to provide a set of documents back and you maybe two or three, but not the entire book, just these little Mm -hmm. stuff and that becomes your context for the question.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um,
2: It's not perfect. There's a lot of problems you can have with that, but it works pretty well for most cases.
0: So I haven't used a vector database before because I haven't done anything with this. Um, is, is if I'm not if I'm not supplying my own documents to use for search, do I still need a vector database, or is it just for this yeah. case where I'm providing some documents? Yeah,
2: I mean it's really just for that case. Although I mean that is one of the ways that you can fight what they call hallucinations.
0: Yeah. Because,
2: <laughs> um, Hallucinations, I think, is a weird term, and I almost don't like it because it implies that it's the, basically the AI is on drugs or something. Um, <laughs> when in reality, the, the LLM is doing what humans do. If you were to come and ask me a question about some ambiguous topic, for example, the word Pandora. Tell me everything you know about Pandora. Well, the problem with that is I know three different things. I can, without even trying, think of three different things called Pandora. There's the thing from the, the world of Avatar. there's a jewelry company that makes jewelry and then there's the streaming service and without any other context if you ask me to describe describe pandora i'm going to tell you the first one that comes to mind and i'm going to describe that and it's going to probably not be the one you wanted and so the same thing kind of thing happens when you ask an llm who's been trained on a vast amount of data and you ask it a question with no context it's going to come back with its best answer the other Mm -hmm. side of it is it may just simply not know and so it's you didn't tell it otherwise, so it's going to make stuff up. It's going to just speculate based on, again, not, and even then, the speculation is not really a good good way of putting it because, as I said earlier, it's not really intelligence. It's statistically what should follow this. And so for lack of anything else that statistically matches, it's going to find something that does. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the best the best answer it can give you, which is probably completely made up. And this is what hallucinations are. But when you start shoving your own documents into a vector database and you provide those as context for your questions, mm. you can actually form the prompt. So it says, Hey, if it's not in the documents I'm giving you do, just say, I don't know, which means it's right. not going to anything. Now it may still take what you, the documents you give it. It may still get a little bit confused on those and give you some wrong answers. Yeah. That's less likely than asking a, a question that it, that's based on a, vast amount of information that it, it just doesn't know. It's ambiguous or it just
0: simply doesn't know the answer to. Right. And, away. Go ahead. Um, my, my other question here is, is this a good reason? So so we know a lot of these large language models are only kind of trained up to a certain date. Is this a good use case for like, hey, I need to provide some information that I know the LLM doesn't have?
2: Yeah, that's a really good use case for that. Um, I mean, a lot of them, are; they're getting better at being trained more you know, yeah. current time, but they're still not like trained today. Right. And so if you wanted to know, um, ask something about the news from yesterday, it's yeah. just not going to know. Right. And but you can feed it, you know, you could basically use the newspaper, the, your, your local newspaper's website as your source <laughs> of data. And then yeah. you can ask questions about that. It's also a good use of functions though, because functions, if you're just looking for certain answers about real time information, I don't necessarily want to load up a document every couple of minutes about what the current wait time is for Haunted Mansion. But if there's an API that just knows that real time, that's, that's even better than RAG. I can go ask it using a function.
0: Yeah.
1: This is like one of the early uh, things, radar you know, signals we got was like, hey, we're using these services and we're sending all of our data to these third-party services. And shouldn't we be concerned? Right away with Spring AI the first release or the first you know, uh, experimental release it had the ability to call some third party but also I could I could give it a local URL and I can I could address some local LLM what are what should we be thinking about when we're using Spring AI or other uh, LLMs public versus private
2: thoughts I'm not sure how to answer that but I'll try um, as I said RAGs not perfect um, in fact it's really bad if you're asking a question that spans multiple areas of a bigger document that's now been broken into smaller pieces. So when you're asking the vector database to give you, you know, the top two or the top three or top ten, it doesn't matter if, if the answer you are looking for spans multiple of those things. Like you're asking, okay, how, you know, what are the ways I can do blah? And that's in like covered in several chapters of a book. Um, you're only going to get a couple of those things. You won't get the exhaustive list, so rag kind of sucks at that. Um, there's other ways of doing rag that are, are starting to become interesting. There's um, one of them I'm not as well versed on, but it's basically self-reflective rag, where somewhere along the way it sort of evaluates its own answers before you give it to the LLM. Uh, so what you get from the data store, from the vector data store, is uh, evaluated. And things that are good are kept, and things that are bad are tossed out. Before you go and ask the LLM, there's another one that's similar to that, and I'm totally blanking on what it's called now. Uh, even though I've actually done more with it, is it's essentially the same idea, but instead you evaluate the documents you get from the vector store by, uh, and you give them basically a grade. And there's different you can give it A, B, or C, or you can give it uh, relevant, not relevant, or neutral. There's different ways ways people will name them. And the idea is, in the case of the, if you call it relevant, not relevant, neutral, if it's relevant, then, hey, we're going to use this document as part of our context. If it's not relevant, what we're going to do is not toss it out, but instead we're going to take that same question and maybe uh, form a a question based on what it did give us and ask some external source, which could be Wikipedia or it could be, you know, some other set of data. I don't know. But you ask ask something, some external source for some additional information. And if it's, uh, but you toss out the answer it gave you, but you still go search somewhere else for it. And if it comes back with a grade of neutral, it means, hey, it may be good, but I don't know that it's good. Let's go ahead and still go ahead and search. We'll keep it, but we're not, we're still going to search some external source. And those are interesting ways of doing it. I've also seen, and I've, I've taken interest in this recently, and by recently, I mean is Friday. So I haven't had a chance to try it much yet, um, but I've I've long felt that Neo4j as a vector store is is intriguing because uh, Neo4j being a graph database, you can have this sort of knowledge graph in there. And I started doing some reading about how um, Neo4j is people use Neo4j as a vector store, and they do something very interesting with it. Again, I've not done this; I've just read about it, so I'm just kind of echoing what I read, which could be dead wrong. I could have misunderstood it. <laughs> Um, but the idea is th- before they load the document in there, they ask they basically ask an LLM to summarize it and to perhaps provide a list of questions that this document answers. And so then and the, the, it's the list of questions that this document answers. That's, that's intriguing to me, because then if I store that list of questions that this document answers as documents in the vector store. Yep. And then I ask a question and go ask me, okay, go find the question that that I've previously generated that matches the question I'm asking now. If those are a really close match, then I just follow that graph down to the the document that should give me the more details about it. We are just scratching the surface. Yep, so uh, there's a couple of good relevant questions here
1: uh, asking if using RAG, uh, we're doing full text search, why don't we just use software like Solar, Elasticsearch, uh, versus the Lucene engine, uh, and I think there's a, a there's a, a distinction here. Uh, vector databases, uh, you know, regarding the full text search, vector databases can store boatloads of information uh, without the need for an exact search, uh, a like or contains yeah. type of a search. We can so we can have a lot more data in a much smaller space, and that's why the vector database has really taken off. Uh, but the question is like, hey. Is that really a good example? Uh, Should we be using
2: RAG just for full text search? Well, I mean, first off, um, I know that the Solar and Lucene folks are working on making their stuff also available as a vector store. So you can actually, when you're doing queries, you're not doing text queries, you're doing vector queries. Um, But there's a, a subtle difference. I said earlier that if it makes you sleep better at night, think of it as text search, but that's really not what's happening. It's better than that. Um, it's because that entire dot you're not doing a full text search. You're basically looking for things that conceptually match with each other. And so a document has, when you create those embeddings, you're asking a model that's been trained on it. That sort of understands that dogs and cats are two different things. And so when I'm searching for German shepherd, as a text search, it knows that I'm searching for documents about that's probably about dogs. And in vector space, dogs, German Shepherd, chihuahuas, whatever, those are all very close to each other in, um, in multi dimensional space. But cats are somewhere else in multi dimensional space, probably relatively close because they're still animals and they still have four legs. And, and where these multi dimensions come from, come down to things like that. Is it, a, is it an animal or is it a rock? Well that's that's one dimension or what color is it well that's a different dimension does it have how many legs does it have that's a different dimension and so all these things have different aspects to them that define where they belong in multidimensional space and so when you start asking questions about four-legged animals well that matches cats and dogs because that's in multidimensional space four-legged animals are pretty close to cats and dogs so it's not just doing a text search it's finding things that are relevant to each other based on characteristics that they have. And so that's better than full text search. This next so, question, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to ask you, we've been talking a lot about chat, but we can <laughs> also do other things with these models, right? Like images. Oh so yeah. I know you've been playing with images lately. What does that look like?
2: Oh, no, that's, it's like chat only you get back a picture, but uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, I mean, everybody's probably used these. I mean, long before I was even interested in generative AI, I was using um, something called Night Cafe on my phone and generating images. And there's others people have used. And it's just cool. I mean, sometimes the images are are funny and sometimes they're really awesome. And of course, now OpenAI has the ability to create videos, which are mind blowing.
0: Um, So cool.
2: (laughs) I don't think Spring AI supports that yet, but the foundation is there to do that. That's kind of one of the things that came about with Spring AI being able to do image generation is it wasn't just that it was able to do image generation because really Spring AI is not doing that. It's just the abstraction that's there is now laying a foundation for not just image generation, but also other types of of Mm -hmm. generation such as video generation or even speech generation. Because OpenAI does support a text-to-speech uh, has a text-to-speech API. And so yep. um, Spring AI could support that, even though it's not in 0.8, it, it probably will be there someday. Um, you also have the other way around where you can take audio files and say, okay, give me the transcription of this. OpenAI nice. supports that. Um, yep. Spring AI does not yet, but it probably will someday. I've got a really cool um, Spring, Spring boot app that I wrote that it uses Spring AI for some parts, but not for that because Spring AI doesn't do that. But where you can basically talk to an app and you can basically it's a web app. You hold down a button in your browser, you start talking, you let up and then it sends whatever you said in audio to the server. The server sends it open AI to get a transcription. And then it takes that transcription, sends it into a prompt to nice GPT 35 comes back with an answer, converts that into audio and then plays the audio for you.
0: Craig, I could see the smile on your face. I, I, I could see that you enjoy this stuff just talking about it. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, it's fun. It's This is this is like when I was a kid. This is what science fiction was. And yeah. now I'm building science yeah.
1: <laughs> This is a question uh, that uh, I think uh, one of the things that I talk about lately. It's like, hey, is there a simple way to export spring references uh, to one PDF like we used to have? Since changing to Antora, the single HTML has been... Uh, has not been provided, so looking for that. And the reason so, why I think this is interesting is because your documentation today, more than ever, is super duper important and up right? to date. If, yep. If, <laughs> if we're if we're pushing out uh, Antora, we're we're using uh, Antora to make our documents easy to understand and easy to uh, consume. This is a very important part, and we, we have somebody in the audience asking that question right now. Uh, I want. A single source so I can go and I can consume it and I can train. I can use it for RAG in my model and I can put it into my yeah workflow. It's
0: Thoughts. it's so funny that somebody asked this because I was just talking to Craig about this probably two weeks ago. I said, that as an example, I'm putting together a presentation of this. I thought of the example of using RAG and, hey, what if I fed it the spring reference documentation? Because to me, that is the most up-to-date source of 20 years of Google searching, right? If you go Google search for how to do this in Spring, you get 20 years of stuff. But the Spring documentation is really up to date, and so that was my thought. If you go to Spring, if you go to Spring.io and go to the project page for something like Spring Boot and go to the reference doc, at the top it says this document is available as a single HTML page and a PDF. So you could pull down 975 pages of the Spring Boot documentation and feed that into it. Now I don't, I haven't tried it yet. I, I don't know how it works yet. But that is one of the experiments that I'm going to to go through. So it was funny that somebody asked. It'll that.
2: work pretty
1: well. Here's the thing, right? Uh, we, oh, I already shared the link to Craig's the demo. Why can't I find it? I already shared it. Here it is. Uh, I shared that link, and Craig's demo doesn't actually use a vector database. You're storing the content into a vector as a file,
2: right? The oh, simple yeah, that's, vector. That's the in-memory one, yeah. Yep. I wouldn't so, necessarily do that for production, but it was a convenient way of doing it. It's a, it's a great way to get a good example done. So
1: you can actually go, and here we I put the, the link to Craig's Spring AI rag example. That is amazing. And this is the cool thing. You wanna go show your friends. This is a great demo uh, using Spring, Spring AI. You can basically feed it anything. You can give it a URL,
2: you can give it a PDF, or anything that, uh, what is it, Tika. Uh, yeah, it's, it's using Apache Tika under the cover. So anything that Tika supports, in theory, although I've never been able to get this to work, in theory, you can give it like a like a WAV file or an MP3 file and it'll get a transcript from that. That's big time in theory, because I've never been able to see that work. <coughs> Tika says it does, but that's Tika saying that I've ne- never been able to get it to work with this. We'll have to uh, take that
1: for a spin. But this is just that idea is that you can take this. So you could go and grab that PDF, from the Spring IO website, and you can feed it in here, and you can start to answer, ask it questions directly about Spring IO. So this is a great uh, exercise for everybody that's listening. You want to get the latest and greatest examples, the latest and greatest insights, best practices. How do I do this in this version? Now you have access. This yeah. is just a great example. Of- I will warn
2: you though. I mean, Tika is great. Tika is awesome. But I have found examples where. Uh, it just won't load a PDF, and I have one PDF in in particular. It's there's a game I like to play called Burger Battle, um, and the rule I have the rules for it in PDF. It refuses to load that. It, it it does not, and I would think, well, Tika sucks. But actually, I started trying to load it with other AI projects like LangChain and Llama Index, and none of them can load it either. So there's something about that PDF. Yes, and. Uh, We we will talk about that. All the ways that I found over the
1: years of taking what's in PDFs and converting it to other formats so that they can
2: be. That's what I've had to do. Is I converted it to just flat text. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Cool. All right, we got another question here from Nicholas. Uh, What are some of the use cases you can see for Spring AI? I know you're doing just like a lot of demos and playing around with it now. Uh, Can you think of some like real world use cases where this might be helpful? This is stupid. well,
2: yes, I can. And what's interesting is one case use case I dreamt up. See, we, we <laughs> had no choice. Um, it was my idea, but then somebody went off and started doing it themselves. Um, we had no choice as a family to get a new vehicle. Our 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 old I can't remember what year it is, Honda Odyssey was just it's it's on its last legs or we still have it but we we have it so that my youngest daughter can practice driving um and nice. not to drive something that we we're worried about um so we ended up buying a used car but we bought a 2019 um infinity qx80 which is sort of like driving the space shuttle it has like all we're still <laughs> finding stuff that it can do that we didn't know it could do it has all sorts of cool technology in it and Every so often, and it ha- still happens, uh, we would ask, okay, well, how do you do this? I mean, it, early on, it's like, how do you turn on high beams? We couldn't even figure out how to do that properly. <laughs> and then there's a we knew that it had automatic high beams that would just kind of turn themselves off if they saw oncoming headlights. We didn't, couldn't figure out how to do that. And so I loaded the 2019 Infinity QX80 owner manual PDF into a vector store, and then I started asking questions about it. That's awesome. And it was able to uh, give me answers uh, on how to use our car. Now, okay, I'm just sitting at my desk asking those questions. It's great. But what about if I'm on the road? Well, yeah. it turns out I have this really cool device on my phone uh, called TalkSocket, which you can't get anymore. They quit. The company that was making them went out of business, I have actually two of them. I have one on the back of my battery pack as a backup. Um, nice. but I, um, you can talk to Alexa with this. And so what if I put Alexa up front, Spring AI in the back with a Vector store that has my Infinity QX80, then we're on the road and we want to know how to do something. I just ask. And a lot of cars now actually have um, Alexa built in. You can also buy like the, um, the Echo Auto if you don't have one in your car. So my 1993 Ford Bronco does not have Alexa built in, but I can have an Echo Auto and I can ask questions while I'm on the road about it. So I can do those kinds of things. I also have found it useful to load the rules as I kind of hinted about the rules for board games into it. And so yeah. while we're playing, I can ask a rules clarification question and get an answer. And that's that's kind of cool.
0: That's awesome. And I'm guessing car manuals are probably open. So here's mm-hmm. a new business idea for someone out there. You can load yes. all of them into a single app and start a new business here. <laughs> I actually
2: went out and I built this for the QX80 and everything but tying it with an Alexa front end. I mean, every, I mean, it was all ready to do that. I just hadn't done the rest of it. And right. all of a sudden I, I read a an article about somebody out there. I can't remember who it was who was doing this. Oh, I remember I can't say their name necessarily. I probably shouldn't say their name, but they um there is a voice, there's a company that's primarily interested in voice technology, uh, who is basically doing this now for auto manufacturers for newer vehicles.
0: Excellent. Of course it
2: still doesn't help my ninety three Ford Bronco, but
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm just, I'm just smiling because you have a 93 Ford Bronco, like
2: well done. I can't share it with you now, but offline, I'll show you a picture. That'll blow your mind. (laughs)
0: It's
1: awesome. Uh, Awesome. One of the other things that this is top of mind. Uh, I haven't gotten very far with it, but the same example, I'm pulling in documentation from version 3.x of Spring Boot. I'm pulling in documentation from version 2.7 of Spring Boot, and I'm storing them into uh, these models. And what I'd like to do is figure out like, hey, how do I convert from old version to new version? As we go forward, we're gonna be uh, taking care of our our software, taking care of our users, making it more maintainable. So using AI, in in this case, Spring AI, to help with these migration concerns. Hey, how do I get from uh, version A to version B? And identifying some of those things. This is one of the things that I'm really excited about. This is one of those things that as we improve our documentation, as we now have access, we can go back and hit the different versions of the documentation on our Spring AI website, this is really exciting that hopefully we can kind of uh, sure. yeah, develop this code Yeah, using Spring AI.
0: Cool. So we're running up against it. I just want to kind of close out on a, one thing here. So Spring AI was an experimental project for a while, right? It was under kind of the experimental projects umbrella. It's since graduated. It's now under the the Spring Projects umbrella. So it's out there. You can get a hold of it. But if you go to start.spring.io, this is not something you can pick as a dependency because it still hasn't hit kind of 1.0 yet. So, how do we get started with Spring AI if we want to start using it in our Spring apps today?
2: Well, there is a story out there. There is an issue in GitHub to add it to, to the initializer. And they were saying, hold off until 0.8. And so apparently oh, either cool. that either that's happened while we've been talking or they just haven't got to it yet. I don't know. Um, but someday, I'm, I'm, I'm like, fingers crossed. I want that in there. Like, because that's yeah. it's such a, it's not that the other way is hard. It's just, I don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> but the other way is just simple. Right now, because it's 0.8, 0.8 is a milestone release, not a release release, not a GA release. So you still have to add the uh, Spring Milestones repository to your build and then you add the dependencies and you have to know what the dependencies are. And there's several different ones. So if you're using open AI, there's going to be a different dependency than if you're using Azure open AI, which is a different dependency than if you're using a llama. So um, you have to make sure you pick the right one, which is also kind of a challenge. You have to know that. That's where when you're working with the initializer, it'll be you'll have a list of checkboxes you just pick the ones that look like the ones you, you're interested in. Of course, there's different dependencies for the different types of vector stores that are supported and things like that. So right now it's a little bit of a pain. You um, mm-hmm. have to know, but to get started, I mean, there's a couple of different places you can look. Uh, most recently, I tweeted um, how to do. Or, oh, I tweeted I tweeted how to do a work with Spring AI and Gemma using Olama. and in that included in there was some of those details of how to set up your project.
1: So nice. And in there, I think you used Spring CLI
2: if I'm not mistaken. Um, I do, at the end of the story, I did use Spring CLI. So if you have Spring CLI, I, I have a set of, uh, I have a project catalog with some examples that I've written and Love you it. can pull that down. <laughs> <it>.
0: <laughs> All right. So we did send out the link for the spring.io slash projects Spring AI. If you look in the reference documentation there, you'll see some getting started info with things that Craig was talking about there on how to get started with Spring AI. Craig, uh, for those who want to be able to get a hold of you, how can we get a hold of you, keep up with all the things that, that you're doing these days?
2: Probably the best way to do it, I mean, in general, is on most of the social medias out there, the, at least the ones that most developers care about, like Twitter and Blue Sky and Mastodon. I'm I'm just Habuma. Um, H-A-B-U-M-A. 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 Uh, if you also if you forget that uh, that I'm what I or can't figure out how to connect with me, then if you go to habuma.com, that that has like everything about me. It has videos awesome. I've done. It has uh, where I'm going to be speaking next and all that sort of stuff on there.
0: Which was my next question. I know you're going to be speaking next soon, right? Uh, at at a conference in maybe Atlanta.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah. Dev Nexus. Awesome.
0: And what are you talking about there?
2: Spring AI. <laughs> Amazing. Well, there you go. Amazing.
0: Ah, Awesome. So if you want to learn...
2: A fixture on the No Fluff Just Stuff Tour, and I'm scheduled to do some Spring AI talks there as well.
0: Perfect. So, hey, if you want to learn more, follow Craig and catch one of his presentations that he'll be delivering this year. Craig, thank you so much for taking some time to join us and talk about AI. This was a lot of fun, and I can't wait to do it again. when When I know a little bit more and I can ask some more questions, we'll have to do this again.
2: Oh
1: yeah, of course. That awesome. It. A lot of thanks, Craig. Right. And thanks to all, all the right. other 50 contributors so far to 50 yes. plus to yes. spring. Yeah, I thank Absolutely. you for your help.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. With that, we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Later. Later.